nobody loves your children like you do. And I think we talk about, and we think back, I think back to all the teachers that really had an impact on me. And yes, they, you know, were passionate about the subject. I don't know if they were experts or not, frankly. They were excited to talk about it. They were excited to work through material with me. But I remember the student or the, the teachers that had the most impact for me were just the ones that I felt like were loving and nurturing and cared more about me, not just as a student, but as a person. And so what I wanna encourage parents to think about is maybe yes, you are not a, an expert in any one particular academic subject, but certainly there's no one who cares about, you know, is committed to investing in, wants to nurture this child. There's no one more committed to that than you are. Hi, this is Liz Weaver, and you are listening to the Learning Success Podcast, an information-packed podcast with the latest news, information, and tips to help you overcome a learning difficulty. For anyone suffering from a reading difficulty, writing difficulty, a math difficulty, a focus problem, dyslexia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, or ADHD, this is the place for you. The Learning Success Podcast is brought to you by LearningSuccessSystem.com. Hello and welcome to the Learning Success Podcast, where we help you embrace your child's brilliance and unleash their potential. I'm Phil Weaver, your host today. Today we have Aaron Weideman. Aaron is the founder of Truth Becomes Her, a brand that equips moms and women with resources to help them step into their unique leadership roles. A sought-after homeschool consultant, certified teacher, coast, and nationally recognized speaker, Aaron's personal mission is to shift the conversation around feminine values from being beauty-driven to a focus on inherent worth. An on-air personality for Air One Radio, Aaron delivers 59 seconds of hope daily as well as hosts the Heroes for Her podcast, where she interviews positive female role models who are living out their passions in line with their personal values. She is the author of eight books, including the best-selling Bible Bells series, The Adventures of Rooney Cruz, which has sold hundreds of thousands of copies worldwide. And Erin is a five-time cancer survivor and lives and homeschools in San Diego, California, with her husband Brent and their daughter Rooney. Welcome, Erin. Phil, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, it's very, very wonderful to have you. Um, so we're going to st- start off your personal mission. We'll, we want to talk um, mainly today about, you know, the parents that are forced in, into homeschooling. I'm sure you have a lot that can, uh, a lot to help them with that, with your experience. Uh, but let's start off with your, your personal mission. Um, and can you speak about that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, out of my journey as a young person, I struggled with, you know, the typical things that girls struggle with, insecurity and comparison, and um, really wasn't walking in my gifts and talents. And it took a cancer diagnosis for me to sort of redirect my own life. I start asking some of those bigger questions about, you know, how can I leverage the way I built my wiring, um, the things that I'm passionate about to make a difference in the world. So that's really where Truth Becomes Her came from, our educational platform. It's where the Bible series came from. Just wanting to come alongside this next generation of girls specifically and pour into them in a way where they could walk in their identity, could be confident, you know, be bold, compassionate leaders and really make the difference that they were born to make. Okay, so what, so inherent worth, what sort of thing uh, would, what drives that, that realization? Yeah, I think for me, you know, and, and growing up again, and I, and I taught for many years and mostly mentored, you know, I think back to my sixth grade mentorship of, of girls mostly. We'd meet every Friday 
And the typical issues that young girls face are, you know, have to do with this is this beauty driven society they live in where the ultimate emphasis and focus is placed on what you look like, what you wear, what you act like, what you sound like, you know, how you're perceived by the people around you. And I think when we focus on that, when we allow girls to sort of stew in that, it creates anxiety, it creates worry, it creates them missing living in the fullness of who they were made to be. So I think as educators, as parents, the conversation really becomes for us as their leaders, the people who are called to influence them and nurture them. Um, you know, what can we do practically to shift that focus away from, you know, you know, yes, the world is gonna tell you about your physical body. It's gonna tell you about your fashion and your beauty from an outside perspective, but really taking that focus inward and looking at character, how to build confidence, how to build again, compassion and wisdom inside our daughters to be able to make good decisions and, and really make an impact. I, I got you. Good. So um, when that transformation happens, can you talk about like what happens um, in career, family, relationships? I mean, there's lots of different venues where that's going to have yeah, I think there's a, a beautiful alignment that can take place, right? When we, and you said it in your intro, I mean, even just the, the focus of this podcast is all about unlocking the potential that lives inside each one of our learners, not just from an academic standpoint, but from, you know, the viewpoint of the whole of the person, right? We're, we're called to develop our children, not just to, to, you know, do well in the classroom and to excel from an academic standpoint, but to look at all aspects of their life, their person, and um, you know what they can go out into the world and accomplish and what they can be. Um, yeah. So it's an exciting conversation, I think, too, and one I enjoy you know, thinking about. And my personal you know, journey, you know, husband, family, you know, has, has merged with my professional life, which has to do with you know, education and, um, and leadership and mentorship of girls and just helping parents in, in whatever way that we can. So I, I enjoy you know, doing this work has it's it's a meshing of personal and professional um and which is just what you talked about right like being able to inspire people across many different areas of their life not just in one specific area yeah yeah it's amazing i i am personally around a lot of strong women um because i i teach kung fu and uh it's amazing um what i'll bring this up maybe you can comment on it that so we i've seen transformations in women like instantly um, and typically when in learning how to fight in, in learning, you know, because of uh, dirt, you know, obviously most men are stronger, bigger than women. Um, and so whatever effect that has psychologically, what I don't know, but what I do know is that typically, and my wife is the best at this, at bringing women through this is, is that women will not, when they first learn to defend themselves, it's not that they can't, but they won't. And there's a, we see this like universally that um, when she takes, you know, especially like a women's self-defense seminar where most of the day is getting them to just, just to psychologically to defend them, you know, to actually step up and try to defend themselves. Um, and of course, then once that happens, they're a different person. Um, can you speak to, you know, why is that, why, why do I, why do I see such a change in, in women? Do you know? And when you look at, you know, men and women and the differences hiring you based on brain and biology, you know, men are typically, generally speaking, wired for things like power and competition and that, that whole drive toward, 
you know, you know, being better and one-upping and all of that. Like women are, we're much more relational, wired for things like empathy and altruism. So it's, I mean, I even think of my own, you know, personal feelings about being in that situation, knowing that self-defense is so positive. It's going to give me so many great skills, you know, a way to, to conduct myself when I leave the house, a way to feel more safe, more secure. But I, in my spirit, I'd have a lot of reservations about inflicting actual violence on someone, even in a way that you know, is a safe way where you can learn about it with an instructor. So yeah, 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 I think the challenge for women is just to let go of some of those inhibitions, some of that, some of that internal wiring to, to understand what's possible when we challenge ourselves, we open ourselves up to new experiences. So yeah, that's a, that's an exciting conversation for sure. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, it's a question I've, I've been trying to figure out for many, many years because I've seen it over and over and over um, this, this instant transformation uh, when women do, and then, and then they're unstoppable. Once they get it, they they just you gotta hit that barrier, and then like, uh, and yeah, you know, I'm they always see everything with a fresh perspective. <laughs> yeah, I'm always trying to dial them down after that because yeah. <laughs> kind of crazy. Easy. Yeah, yeah it really does. Um, all right, so let's jump into the parents uh, jumping that are now homeschools. Um, what are the things that they should do like immediately, like? Oh, immediately. Yes. I mean, there's so many things, right? Like so many parents are overwhelmed and having to juggle things like school, you know, now work at home for a lot of them, multiple kids. You've got, you know, learners with individual learning needs at home that you're used to, you know, leaning on the support of a teacher. Now you're a teacher. So you're wearing a different hat. Your children are not used to seeing you that way. So the first thing I would tell parents is to just you've got to learn to break a couple of the traditional school rules that you're used to. I had to learn this going from professional teaching. I taught full-time in the classroom, public and private school for almost 10 years. Um, and now I'm homeschooling and, you know, an entrepreneur who works from home full-time. So we're juggling a lot at home, but I really had to do a rewiring of my brain around the context I was familiar with being in the classroom, you know, 25 to 40 kids, you rotating schedules and the bell and all the different, you know, preps that you're, that you're, you know, juggling and being in school for seven to eight hours a day, having everything dictated a certain way, you know, standing at the front of the room and presenting material. These are all rules that exist in the traditional schooling environment that don't need to exist in your home because you're not rotating 25 to 40 kids at a, at a time. They're not on a typical schedule. You'll find that during homeschooling, I mean, even, even your youngest kids, they'll get it done in a few hours a day. And so then you're sort of managing, what are we doing with this extra time? How are we really investing in you in a way that you know gives you a chance to work on your unique, unique abilities, the skills you're interested in, in improving? So it really becomes more of a conversation about freedom and choice which is what I want to encourage parents to view this time as like, this is not a burden for your home environment. It's not a burden for your children or you. It is really a blessing because you're getting to sit down as a family, get very intentional about, okay, yes, let's tackle all the academic subjects. Let's make sure all of your learning needs are met in the style that you learn best. And then what are we doing with this extra time? How are we developing our you know, interpersonal relationships? How are we spending time as a family? What new life skills are we working on? So that becomes a really exciting conversation, not, oh my gosh, I'm so stressed out. I've got to deal with all these academic subjects and I can't get any of my own work done. Right, right. So, um, so it, there's quite a bit of greater efficiency in the homeschooling and that leaves you to do, able to do much more then, is what you're saying? 
at least for us, I mean, we're, we're a full-time work from home. My husband and I run a home-based business together. So we work together. It's connected to our parenting, our marriage, our, you know, leadership in our home, outside of our home. So we're juggling all of that. We have one learner. I have a baby on the way. I think what I want to do too is just encourage parents, you know, to, to see this extra time as an opportunity to really meet together as a family, to view your family as more of a team and to really create a collaborative, open environment inside your home to say, okay, who, who do we have here? What are all their needs? What are the responsibilities we need to take care of as a family that include, you know, professional work for parents. It includes academic work for children. It includes household chores. I mean, we're all at home spending a lot more time there. So there are a lot of ways to manage, you know, not micromanage your children, but certainly invite them into a conversation that says, okay, if this is going to be collaborative and cooperative, how can we land on taking care of the responsibilities that we all have inside this house, you know, getting all of your academic needs met to handling our business, so to speak. And then what are we doing with that extra time? So one thing I always tell parents to do is to have an initial meeting. If you haven't already, this is a great time to do it and just land on your family's values. You know, what are the, what are the driving priorities of your specific family unit? It varies house to house, but certainly, I mean, in our house, we value and we've decided collectively that these are things that are really important to our family that we want to prioritize things like unity and diligence, right? The consistent pursuit of effort with excellence. That's, that's an important definition for the work that we do. Yes. Uh, we value things like flexibility and compassion and service toward other people. So once you land on those values, it creates, number one, this creates a really interesting conversation to have person to person from your youngest learners all the way up to, you know, high school and, and young adult age kids who are at home trying to figure all this out with their parents. It creates a really beautiful opportunity to understand more about your children's unique perspectives and the value they can bring to this conversation about what things you're built to prioritize, what things you think are important to your family. And then once you establish those values, all of the expectations you set, the schedule and rhythm that's gonna work best for your family, what to do when kids aren't meeting expectations and how to reward or introduce consequences. Those are gonna land so much more smoothly. There's gonna be less pushback and more enthusiasm because the kids have all you know, become accountable to what these values are. And it doesn't yes. feel so like mom and dad are just laying the hammer down and they're not my teacher and this feels so foreign to me. Cause we've got to give our kids grace in this time too. This is not something they were used to. And they're having to make a very real and serious adjustment to their learning situation, the environment, the person, everything about their learning is different now. So giving them a little grace, inviting them into the conversation certainly will create more buy-in and increased enthusiasm if your learners are not so enthused about this current situation. I can imagine. It sounds like actually quite a great opportunity for families. What's going on? Um, you mentioned learning styles. Are, are you an advocate of, of, of learning styles? I know. And, yeah, and I, I read the research on it too. I think, you know, it's, it's for me, at least being in the classroom, it's very, it's, I'm wary of boxing kids into like, this is your specific learning style and sure. it's the only way you learn best. But certainly children gravitate toward different types of learning scenarios and experiences more so than others. So I think this is a really nice opportunity now that we've layered into parents' day you know, that, that academic hat, you're going to have to look at your child maybe in a different way, start asking some questions you maybe haven't asked before. Like, what do, what do my, what does my son or daughter respond to, you know, regarding certain subject material, right? 
or, you know, are they, are they a get up and move around kind of a kid? Like my daughter, she's amazing. She can sit, she's in kindergarten. Um, she can sit for 20 to 30 minutes and do a learning activity with me. She likes to work at the kitchen table, but sometimes she doesn't. And we're outside on the trampoline while she's jumping around on her head and shouting vocabulary words at me because it's something that we can leverage inside our home, the ability to get up and move around, use our body, you know, be healthy and just access different learning opportunities in a way that leverages, you know, our health, our movement, all of the things that kids don't necessarily have when they're inside the classroom, seated at a desk, faced a certain way. You know, sometimes there's a chance to get up and move around, but certainly that doesn't exist traditionally in the way it can exist at home. So we, we're advocates, at least in our house, and I've seen the, the blessing that comes with you know, asking your child where they want to learn today, you know, is, is, is doing math on the kitchen floor. Is that convenient for me while I'm cooking? No, but if she wants to sprawl out on the floor and do some of her math problems as a way to just take a break from sitting at the table and, and feeling like it's monotonous and just overkill to be doing the same thing over and over again, then, you know, think about giving your kids that freedom. I think it's, it's for us to let go of as parents, again, those traditional rules of it's gotta happen this way, you know, we know that learning and experiential wisdom, we gain it not when conditions are ideal, not in a certain setting from a certain person every time. We can learn anywhere, anytime, any place, and that's what you want to focus your kids on in this season. Right, right. Yeah, it seems to me that, that movement is one of the things that's really lacking in schools. Um, my wife and I actually designed a an app and we built it in 2005. Unfortunately, we were way before our time, which was just a, a uh, now they call them brain breaks. We called it Break Pal back then, and it was an app that came up on the computer and went through some yoga moves or kung fu moves or tai chi or whatever, and three-minute exercise and got it back. Um, we actually presented it to the school back then. Of course, that was be right before the 08 economic crash and everything kind of died. But um, I'm glad to see that those brain breaks are, are now gaining popularity in the schools Uh and so, and we know that kinesthetic, that, that incorporating the body is a huge, we learn from the outside in. So amazing. Um, a setup. So what, what things should a parent have to, to just set up to be efficient at, at homeschooling? I think, I mean, for specific families you with, you know, if you have multiple learners or whatever their age or ability levels are, whatever their current, you know, grade level is, all of these factors sort of come into play, you know, in figuring out the setup that's going to work for your family. But again, time to have a conversation with your learners, right? And even the smallest kids will have an opinion about the way that they're going to learn best. So invite your children into that conversation. This is not for you to on the fly, try to figure out a good situation. You really can gain a lot of wisdom from your early middle elementary, middle school and high school students about the environment, the setup, where they wanna learn inside your home. You know, when they're home learning, they are not outside, you know, in a different building with a different person. They have, and sometimes this creates a challenge, right? They have access to all of the things that, all of the comforts and sure. the activities and the games and the fun things that exist at home. So developing a good rhythm around, you know, freeing the area of distraction is always something I recommend. Again, in our house, we value diligence. So we've decided that across the board when we're doing academic or focused learning time, there are no distractions in our space. If there's technology to be used, it's used during the lesson and for the lesson. 
It's not mom scrolling through her phone, checking emails while her child, you know, while I'm supposed to be working one-on-one with my learner who needs my support. So it's showing that every member of the family is free of distraction, is committed to, again, those values, and just setting up something that will work for your family. If everyone needs a, a, a an individual working space as opposed to all working at one table, or if you're rotating people around, again, you've got one learner that's bouncing off the walls that needs a lot more movement, you can you know, figure out the best rotation schedule for everybody in, in a way that works. And I always have parents like map it out, you know, and a lot of times I think as parents, we have an idea about how it's gonna work in our minds, but if we don't see it and actually create like a movable way to visualize it, I think it uh-huh. can get convoluted, especially because we're all trying to juggle professional work. You know, I've got appointments and calls and content writing that I need to do and interviews like this one, right? So those are all things that are kind of sprinkled in during the day that you can't necessarily block as a working professional. So sure. there's a lot of, there's a lot to juggle. Um, but again, inviting your children into that space and creating a schedule, you know, implementing a, a rhythm, a routine that looks good, assessing it often and frequently because every day can look very different. You know, someone wakes up, has a bad day. Someone is sick one day. Someone's got more work or less work one day. These are all things that, that come up and you have to change as a parent and be adaptable and flexible, and one of my values, um, on the fly to assess the situation and say, okay, see something's not working. We, we implemented it. It's clearly not working for us though. So let's give it a change. What do we think is gonna be a good change? And then just creating a, an ebb and flow of, right. okay, assessment and, and is this working? And we don't just sit when it's not working. We actually stop and change and do something about it. Right, so you're, crying, you're trying, you're attempting to create focus during those focus times, no matter what duration they are is, is the goal. Yeah, and I think to across the board, I always tell parents, this is what we do in our home that's worked well for us, but certainly, you know, dividing your, you know, time periods during the day. If you're, if you're using like a chunked allotment of scheduling during, you know, the mornings and the afternoons, and you're breaking it up with things like brain breaks or, you know, relaxation for your ch- children to take a break from academic learning time, you know, to do activities that light them up, that relax them, that are, you know, fun and engaging and will give them a break from all of the, you know, academic work they're doing. There should be a good mix of that. Um, So here we, I mean, we divide them into three different categories. It's academic focused learning time. So that's studying, that's, you know, review of material, it's test prep, it's all the things that you would do academically. We have rest and relaxation time. Those are fun activities. Those are independent activities where you're separating from mom and dad. They are not available to you. That also creates time for me to get some work done. That is not educational work. Uh-huh. And then the third, then then the third category is chores, contributing to the family team. Okay. Because we're home, we're eating. There's a lot more work to do. There's more laundry. There's more dishes. There's more of everything. I know parents are noticing that. And if you're not employing even your youngest children to help out and make those family team contributions, you're gonna get everybody in bed at the end of the day and be staring at a pile of dishes and a pile of laundry and things that didn't get done during the day. And there is a way to manage that where you will have the time at the end of the the day to actually decompress, spend time with your spouse, you know, take time for yourself. And that's really important for just the filling up process of you as the, you know, the one driving this forward and leading your family in this way. Right. Makes possible. Makes sense. So um, if, if, if a parent is looking at this is, and they're certain this is going to be a short term thing, they're just homeschooling through through this event. What are the best practices for that? 
Yeah, I think too, the one thing I would tell parents, you know, and, and at the beginning, this didn't just happen with no notice. It also happened with no budget. So right. for somebody who was thrust into the, okay, we're distance learning, we're remote learning, it's school at home. It's not homeschooling because we didn't, number one, we didn't plan for it. We don't have a budget for it. Yeah. I would, I'm going to recommend right off the bat that parents do a couple of practical things that will move them from survival mode, which is how we were all thrust into this, to actually getting a little bit more intentional. So having that family meeting, establishing a rhythm that's going to work for your children, dividing chunked allotment times into three different categories. If it's, if you want to start with something simple and not feel overwhelmed, you know, find time for them to do their academics and do their learning, find time for them to rest and relax themselves, do activities that are engaging, that will lift them up, that will center themselves, that will write their spirit so that they're not constantly overwhelmed by the academic stress of gosh, school looks very different at home right now. And I'm overwhelmed and worried yeah. and anxious about what I'm trying to do. And then, really pouring in and, and allowing your kids to be part of your family team and contributing to the household chores and the responsibilities there. So if you get clear on what those are, I always recommend to parents, you know, you want to invite your kids in whenever possible. And the less you can dictate to them in this season, because again, they're not used to you being their teacher, right? They're used to a totally different person with a totally different look and voice and every, I mean, everything about you to them is different right now. So just give them a little grace. But around the chores conversation, I mean, something easy that we do is it, rather than say, here is your list of weekly chores that I need you to do. I make a list of, you know, 10 or 20 chores that would really bless me and let my child pick two okay. a day. She does one in the afternoon and one in the morning. She chooses when she does them, but she does one there, one there. She chooses from a list. We, we know these all will bless me. It will alleviate some stress that I'm feeling, but it invites her to make choice, right? And to engage in the choice that she made in a way that's going to help get, get some things done. So I think just getting clear on what those are, you know, your kids, our kids ultimately too, they, they want to be helpful. They, they are a part of your team. They want, they want you to invest in them. They want to know that they belong and that you honor their opinions. You care about their ideas. You want to include them in the decision-making. And I, I was really blessed as a classroom teacher to have really rich conversations, deep conversations about how my students wanted to contribute to our classroom experience, to the culture. I mean, right down to writing the rules at the beginning of the year. I could have come in at the beginning of the year and said, here are my class rules, memorize them, know them, learn them, love them. Or we can have a 20 minute dialogue where we all brainstorm, what are the classroom rules that you feel we're really going to create a valuable learning environment, one where everybody can learn in the best way they learn, and one where we, you know, that breeds collaboration and cooperation. That's really the name of the game to get your students to buy into you and what you're leading them through. You want to invite them to the table to contribute. I'm curious uh, about that as, as, a, as, a, as a school teacher when you were doing that. Did, when you did those brainstorming sessions from year to year, did you end up with similar rule sets or were they completely varied and how different would they have been from had you written them by yourself? They were very similar to what I would have written by myself. They were different in like phrasing every year, but for the most part, I mean, what do kids want? They want to feel respected. They want to, they want it to feel like an environment where they feel safe. And sometimes they can't articulate that. Right. So it's up to you as the teacher to sort of synthesize their thoughts and their ideas and opinions and sort and land on, you know, a, a list of, of items that they can subscribe to, right? Or that, that sure. really capture the essence of their feelings. But uh -huh. yeah, there were no big surprises, certainly. Um, 
But from going from, you know, being an early teacher and being so focused on the curriculum and my subject matter and what I was trying to teach them and really missing an opportunity to connect with my students on a human level, I realized a few years in, gosh, if I just invest in them and show them that I value them the first few days of school and really set the tone for the culture and the atmosphere inside this learning environment, I'm going to do myself a, a better service as their educator, but then I'm just, I'm going to cultivate this environment where it feels open. They can be vulnerable. They can share their feelings. They're not afraid to be who they are, not just, you know, yes, they're driven academically. We want them to be really excited about getting good grades. That's certainly part of the learning experience, but it's not everything. Yeah. I, I've, I've interviewed a few teachers who are just crushing it and it, it's all surround. It's all around that same theme that you just said. All the same ideas. It's um, human yeah. first. Human, human first, first. And their teacher, you know. Right. Right. Um, now, and I've been told that it's not actually well accepted within the school system among the broad spectrum of of uh, teachers. So. Well, it makes sense too because it, it creates you know, a little creativity on your part. You've got to be a little maybe more vulnerable and more open to sharing with your students, you know, a little sure. bit more about who you are. But it's what we want to do as parents. Sometimes we have, you know, some obstacles in our way as far as you know, being honest and open and forthright with our children. But ultimately, that is what they need. Um, right. So I just think it's a cool opportunity that parents are having now in home to go, gosh, I can connect with my kids in a whole different way. Yes, for sure, for sure. So um, on the other hand, if a, a parent is deciding that, hey, maybe they like this and they want, do want to transition to full-time homeschooling, then what's the best practices about going going down that road? Yeah, I think, you know, number one, just finding out what you, where, it, you know, where you live in your current state, what the laws are, you know, familiarizing yourself with what it will take to get enrolled, like where, you know, in California here we have um, an approved charter school that we go through. We also do classical education through um, like a faith-based organization. So we sort of use like a hybrid, you know, I sort of melded together something that's going to work for us for kindergarten this year. I grabbed a couple curricula online that I heard were, you know, great, greatly reviewed by many friends of ours who also homeschool. So I think one thing I would say to parents right off the bat, if you're going, gosh, this situation looks pretty good and I could, you know, work this out for next year and actually make this a thing that we do is to really leverage a support network, you know, your friends and family members, your community members who are already doing this are a wealth of knowledge. I know, you know, and even for me leaving the classroom and going, gosh, I'm not plugged in necessarily. I have all this knowledge as a professional educator in the classroom, but here I am staring at the vast ocean of the internet going, what resources, what units, what lessons, what are we doing for all of these subjects? And, you know, being in my head a little bit going, well, I taught older kids for many, many years. This is my first time teaching kindergarten and phonics and early literacy and all of these things that I'm not an expert in, which is how parents view themselves a lot of the time. Right. So really, you know, finding you know, where you are in community, what exists and is available to you inside your community, in your neighborhood. There are parents who are already doing this. There are groups you can join. There are free online support groups where you can ask questions and say, hey, I'm thinking about X, Y, and Z. What do you all think about this? You will get instant feedback. It's why we started the mentorship series, the Heroic Homeschooler. So parents have a one-stop, like I've got these questions. Our team is there to answer all of their questions, concerns, talk about their challenges, unique learning styles, just the things that exist inside your home that are completely unique to your family situation. 
we've got questions around and sometimes the, the internet is so overwhelming that's really not necessarily the best place to start because you're gonna you know sort of go down a rabbit hole it's very easy to do so that's my advice is just to find the people locally you know know the laws you read up about what what it takes to do it in your specific state but then get you know get yourself in the way of people who are have been doing this for a long time they they, they know the system know what curriculum they like and just start hearing stories and you can kind of synthesize and process that for your family and see what's going to work okay great and you touched on uh parents not feeling as if they had certain the skills so, and I see that not only in the skills that may, you know, maybe I don't know algebra or whatever that specific skill is, but also feeling that they're just not maybe emotionally cut out for it or, or something along the lines. I see, I'm seeing those comments. I'm sure you are too. So uh, what would you, what would you say to those, those parents? Yeah, I, I think number one, you know, nobody loves your children like you do. And I think we talk about, and we think back, I think back to all the teachers that really had an impact on me and yes, they you know, we're passionate about the subject. I don't know if they were experts or not, frankly. They were excited to talk about it. They were excited to work through material with me. But I remember the student or the, the teachers that had the most impact for me were just the ones that I felt like were loving and nurturing and cared more about me, not just as a student, but as a person. And so what I wanna encourage parents to think about is maybe yes, you are not a, an expert in any one particular academic subject, but certainly there's no one who cares about, you know, is committed to investing in, wants to nurture this child. There's no one more committed to that than you are. You know, yeah. I, I mean, we, we get to do this in our parenting. We get to do this in our mentorship of our children. This is just adding a different layer, that academic layer to say, okay, well, I'm not an expert in mentoring and I'm not an expert in coaching and I'm not an expert in parenting, but can I do those things effectively? with a supportive group of people, you know, some resources that are gonna help me. Can I put those things in my way? Can I learn a little bit? I think another great thing too that, that parents don't realize is that there's something really powerful in saying to your child, well, I don't know the answer to that question, but let's find out together. Yeah. yeah. And go looking for the answer, you know, finding, finding periodicals and finding things to read and finding an engaging video and having a really rich discussion about a topic where you leave as the adult feeling, gosh, I learned so much more about this particular <laughs> subject than I, than I ever thought was possible. And I let this subject go a long time ago when I dove into my professional work. It's just a cool way to show our kids that we, that we value the learning we get to do. And it's not just about their growth and their academic development, but learning is a lifelong journey not a place you arrive where you become an adult and you just know everything you're going to know it's really more about continually reinventing yourself as a learner and approaching you know learning new things and finding out about things you never knew about um you, with with you know eyes that are that are primed for discovery and being excited to model that discovery that curiosity for uh -huh. your students is such a good motivator. So don't worry if you're not an expert. I mean, I love English, love Spanish, taught both of those subjects. You know, I'm a non-native speaker of Spanish. I started in fifth grade and ended up majoring in it because I loved it so much. Had to translate a book the other day. And, you know, I reached out to people on the internet and said, who's a native speaker that can help me? Because, you know, I'm not an expert, you know, based on credentialing to translate a Spanish document, but certainly I'm passionate about the language. I'm excited to work with people who can augment, you know, come together with me again to collaborate. 
and it teaches me something along the way and my daughter gets to see that yeah right that's that's amazing that sounds like the best best lesson yet and i i know what you're saying is well documented in the um in the scientific literature it just there's there's a great deal of research around parents getting involved in education and then there's nothing better i mean it's I think you think to you think too to those kids, and the number one question we ask as teachers, right, is how do I engage these learners? How do I engage them collectively, and how do I engage them individually? Because all of these different kids have unique challenges, barriers that are in their way from being excited, being curious, you know, wanting to engage in the material. There's all sorts of the th- of things standing in their way, right? Intrinsic and extrinsic, the, the things that they that they are struggling with. And what we can do is is ask those questions as parents and say, gosh, what is it going to take for me to engage this learner? And a big yeah. part of that is them watching you. How do you engage with the material? When you hit something that you don't know about, do you dismiss it and say, well, I'm not an expert and I can't do it? Or do you dig your heels in and say, I don't know the answer to this, but we are going to find out together. It totally reframes the fact that maybe you don't know everything, but who does? Do you have a smart child who is struggling in school? Are you feeling overwhelmed? Do you feel like the struggle is holding your child back from their true potential? Maybe the anxiety and worry over your child's future just beats you down every day. You don't have to live that way. Learn how to stop a learning disability from becoming a life disability. A child with a learning disability is stressful for the child and the parent. The disability may be eroding their confidence and shattering their self-esteem. Other people may perceive your child as unintelligent and antisocial. If not addressed and fixed early, the child may develop permanent challenges later in life when looking for a good job or meeting a potential spouse. Our current school system does not know how to properly help our children, but at Learning Success, we do. We've created a system you can easily do at home with your child. And with just 15 minutes per day after school with your child, you can save them from a life of struggle and heartbreak. Learn how to unleash your child's potential and embrace their true intelligence. As a special gift for being a loyal podcast listener, we're going to give you a free trial of the Learning Success System. Try it out absolutely free for 15 days. If it is not the perfect fit to help your child succeed in school and in life, just cancel before the trial ends and pay nothing. You even get to keep the free bonuses. Go to www.learningsuccesssystem.com forward slash podcast to get your free trial now. You'll be so happy you did once you see the great grades your child is capable of getting. Imagine being so proud of your child when they bring home a great report card and hand it over with a beaming smile. Get your free trial now at www.learningsuccesssystem.com forward slash podcast. You've got nothing to lose except the stress and anxiety that is holding you and your child down. I'll see you there. So what's, um, you, there's a lot uh, being mentioned on social media about incorporating education into everyday activities. 
um, you know, cooking, that sort of thing. So what, what counts as school? Oh my gosh, everything counts as school. <laughs> so, okay. okay. I, yes. And for parents, like this is me sitting over here too. I had two busy parents growing up. My dad worked from home, you know, but he was, he run, ran a construction company. So he was gone at like 3 a.m., picked us up from school at three, but I, I never saw my mom. So one thing that I never learned to do that I'm super grateful for that is happening in my house is just cooking lessons. Like my daughter's six years old. My husband was raised by a Southern mom who loves cooking is like her middle name is hospitality and he knows how to cook. And he's like, has these rich culinary experiences that I can't have with her. So the one thing I want to say is for, for people who are in, you know, isolation and just sort of working with what you have in your home, identify some of those essential life skills that don't necessarily have to do with academics. Like if you're good at woodworking or you can code something or, you know, you can sew something. I mean, these all, all things that happen around the house. Can you teach your kids, you know, about the motor of your car or to change the oil or, you know, to build something out in the yard because the fence broke or something needs to be painted. Like all of these different things come up again. You're spending a lot of time at home you know, looking for extra things to do. This is a really neat time to identify some of those essential life skills like cooking and sewing and baking and all the just things that when your children leave your home, you want to equip them with. And not yes. that they would never call you back for some wisdom, but my daughter will not be calling me for any cooking tips ever in her entire life. I try to, you know, soak it up as they're doing it, but her dad is the one we lean on for cooking. Otherwise we'd be eating bowls of cereal or every it, meal over here um it's the same in our household <laughs> yeah and i just i think i'm so thankful every day that i found this person but he, he's such a good example of like the things that i am not expert in the things that i don't even feel equipped to tackle like i would love to teach her to cook that is such an important life skill i don't have the mental fortitude or the prior knowledge or any context for you know tackling that beyond looking up some fun recipes again i don't have the answer but let's find it together but I'm so blessed to have somebody who is more of an expert in my home. So that's one thing I would say, if you've got older kids, if you've got a spouse, you know, get the people in your children's life involved in some of these, you know, we would call them maybe non-essential or, you know, the life skills versus the academic skills. I think these are some of the most essential skills that when they leave your house, they're going to be fully equipped to do and take care of their business, their life. That has nothing to do with, you know, memorizing vocabulary words or performing well on a test at school. Um, the other thing I would tell parents to do is leverage technology and leverage the people who care about your children, friends and family members. We've got, I mean, on a rotating schedule, every grandparent who are all across in multiple states in this country, they are doing hour long phone calls with her where they are telling stories. They are quizzing her on her material. They are you know, they have like a fun game going back and forth. They're playing board games. They're doing puppet show. There are some really cool ways to engage non-family members, non-parental authority figures to be the teachers, to be other kinds of teachers for your children so that the weight of this, the pressure of it doesn't just fall on you. Like I've got to be everything and do everything and teach everything that can feel so overwhelming. So leverage those adults that you have, those caring adults who love your children and who would be willing to spend, you know, 30 minutes a week, 60 minutes a week on a rotating schedule, just get them on a schedule and see what they'll come up with. It's not something for you to plan. Just let them, let the creativity flow inside those conversations. It's so beautiful. That That's an amazing tip right there that uh, everyone is really just a Zoom call away right now, right? 
And we think about Zoom, right? Like, oh, I got to use, I'm using it professionally. I'm doing it for meetings. Like I've got, you know, business to conduct. So just expand your mind in the way of, you know, reaching out via technology and say, gosh, let me make a list of, do I have two or three or four or five people who I could call up right now and say, would you volunteer for 30 minutes a week to have an engaging phone call with my learner where you quiz them on their material or you tell them an interesting story or you, you know, go back and forth and you, I, I, whatever it is, we use the portal here. We cook a lot with Grammy who's over in Maryland. Wow. They do, you know, they'll, my, my father-in-law does these stories called Sir Applegate where a knight comes and, you know, she, my daughter has to cross a bridge and she meets a troll and who asks her three academic related questions and she can't cross the bridge and go on the adventure until she answers them. So it's just, it's really neat to watch these adults who care about your kids come up with some awesome activities for them to do that have nothing to do with you. Right. And it seems like it would provide quite an opportunity for them to tell the stories of their life that may not ever happen otherwise. And so grateful for it, honestly. Think about it too. And think, and think about when people live, you know, and then you don't see them in your day to day, how much you miss of yeah. their own life experience. But we all, we all have a lot of time for that now. So it's really a blessing. It certainly is. And I fully agree with the life, the, the life skills. We, we actually run a nonprofit where I mentor uh, young men who did not have any parenting, anything. They were just, and, uh, it's amazing that they just the simplest things are taking about in which way to turn a wrench. You know, <laughs> I had uh, one guy and he, had, he was a bodybuilder. I mean, incredibly strong, but it never worked on anything physically. And the first thing he went to do is turn the wrench the wrong way and you know, <laughs> screaming at him. Don't break the bulb. It's just, it's amazing where that starting point starting at zero is for some kids. Um, you know, of course I'm seeing that, that far end of the spectrum, but, but critical, very critical. Um, you're you spent quite some time as a as a public school teacher and then transitioned. Can you tell us about that journey? There? Yeah, I mean, I I was working in finance as a 26 year old. I was diagnosed with cancer for the first time. Um, you know, just a couple of years after college, and it really wrecked me as a human being. And I, you know, I wasn't really operating my gifts. I was out for money, out for, you know, just to build a successful life. Um, so I really started asking some of those you, questions about just my in, deeper. Mm -hmm. You went into teaching just as for money? Uh, no, I was working in finance. At the oh, time. I'm so sorry. I, working, I missed that. I was okay. working for a bank. Yep. That's okay. I was working gotcha. for a bank, um, made a ton of money. I thought I'll buy a house. I'm 25. That's like really impressive. So I bought a house as a 25 year old unmarried woman and then, you know, moved in and then three months later moved right back out, was diagnosed with metastasized thyroid cancer that okay. started in my neck and went to all the surrounding lymph nodes in my upper body. Uh -huh. We did not catch it early. The prognosis was not good. So even during the course of treatment and surgeries and all of that, I really, I just had a violent shove into reality about what I was doing with my life, how I was choosing to spend my time. And I just felt a stirring in my soul for kids. And it was like, I've always had this special relationship with them. They've always felt and gravitated like, like strongly toward me. I should be with them. I should be mentoring them. If I don't have a lot of time left, let me get into the classroom and really see the, the kind of impact that I can make by spending time with them every day, not just academically, but, but personally and really pouring into them. So I became a teacher 
right in the middle of that journey um, and did it full time for 10 years um, before my husband and I quit our jobs to start a publishing company to create resources for girls around the ideas of beauty, identity, and purpose um, based on the things I was seeing in the classroom and things that I had grown, grown up experiencing as a young girl, which we know are things that girls struggle with universally for a slew of different reasons. So we just really felt called to do something about it. And then in the midst of that, you know, starting the business, publishing, I started speaking and traveling around and writing all these resources, we became parents to a little girl. So it really hit us at home and our parenting in a new in a new way, this conversation of girls and leadership and influence and impact, um, like I said earlier, merged, you know, our lives professionally and personally. And now it's work we get to do together, which we love. Awesome. Very good. And now you've taken all of that into consulting in the homeschooling area. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, that wasn't something I set out to do just and even as this COVID-19 stuff happened, it was like I, I kept getting hundreds of messages from parents going, well, you were a professional teacher. You taught in the classroom for a long time. Now you're a homeschooling mom. You're also a busy business owner who's used to traveling around and used to creating content and different things at home. You do all this stuff. How, how are you doing that? So I think for me, th this mentorship really came out of wanting to support these parents who are, who again, did not choose this, were thrust into it. It feels burdensome. It feels overwhelming. Uh, but there is a way that parents can really handle this with grace and with grit, as you mentioned earlier. Um, when they get a, a handle on things like what's my family routine and what are some of the things that I can let go of in the context of my own schooling experience that don't really apply to the situation. Do I have freedom or is this, you know, is, does this feel so overwhelming that I can't make a decision? Um, so these were all the questions that we wanted to answer in this season just for parents who are, you know, who have been surviving and now going, okay, if I'm going to do this long term or if this is going to last a lot longer, what are we all doing about it and help me get a handle on it? Right, right. So what, what are you seeing in uh, in the homeschool community with the COVID-19 thing? Is it just business as usual for them? Did nothing change or? No, I mean, I think for us, like we homeschooling now doesn't really look like homeschooling even 10, 20 years ago. I mean, we, we are a part of a thriving co-op, you know, that meets on Mondays, 30 different families, rotating classes on one day a week. She and I school three days a week on Thursdays. She's at an independent learning academy doing specialty classes, enrichment classes. So it's our situation has sort of been like a hybrid version of, you know, what maybe looks like traditional school. You go to a site, you have different teachers, you do different things, and you're also schooling at home. So it's any and all of those things. A lot of homeschooling parents, you know, don't aren't involved in a co-op and they school five days a week at home in a way that best works for them for whatever reason. So I think for us, you know, regardless of if you are a part of a hybrid situation, you're part of the traditional environment, or you've been homeschooling only for the last however long, um, life looks very different. So I think, you know, for parents who are doubling back and going, okay, the situation that we set up, the situation A looks totally different than what this is, situation B, where's the good meat in the middle? You know, obviously, we're seeing now and we're, we're watching the pushback from parents that distance learning is not the answer. Like remote learning, 100% away from the teacher, having to do all this online is clearly not the answer um, for a slew of different reasons. So I think for us in the homeschool community, for me as a former teacher and people who are part of the public school conversation and private school conversation, it's a really interesting time to be talking about moving forward what hybrid learning will look like, what a blended learning scenario looks like that blends the best of technology 
and high touch, which is that personal interaction, that, that high touch experience that our kids have with a physical teacher who is in the room with them doing what we know passionate, you know, trained, professionally developed teachers are. Um, so I think the conversation for where we're going really has to do more with what does blended learning look like, a, a blending of high touch and high tech. How do those two concepts marry in a way that serves every single student's individualized learning need? It's a very interesting question. It's, it's, it certainly is. Um, so what you've, um, the remote learning is not the, is not the solution is what I'm hearing here. Um, what, are, what are the issues? I, I mean, you you've got, you, yeah, you've got technology equity issues. You've got kids who don't have access to the internet, don't have access to all the tools they need to effectively learn remotely. You've got teachers who weren't planning on this. So people have thrown lessons up online via different platforms that either kids don't have access to. They don't have, you know, internet connection that's going to be reliable. They live in a place or, you know, for whatever reason, there are major technology issues for the bulk of this country. Okay. Um, so I think, you know, just thinking through those things, like we, there are a lot of different barriers to making that type of learning effective and, you know, equitable across all different planes, geographically, socioeconomically. So that's a question. But I think the bigger question has more to do with the fact that we and parents are really learning right now in home in real time, how much they should be appreciating an in-person trained teacher for their children. Um, who do ask those questions I asked earlier? You know, how do you effectively engage learners? Uh -huh. These are the questions teachers are used to asking every single day in the classroom based on the units they're covering, the lessons they're going over. How do you effectively engage these learners so that they learn material, so that they love learning, so that they're growing and developing at the rate and, you know, in the way that they're supposed to be across the board in a way that's measurable and that's serving the whole of the student. Um, so I think that's the question. Can remote learning do that? If remote learning is the only way they're learning, I believe it can. I, I believe it needs to be a blending of high touch, which is that personal interaction with a physical teacher, parent or you know professional educator who's got a certain type of training, but certainly parents can do this and have been doing it very effectively for many years, but it's uh -huh. gotta be that blend of high tech and high touch together, not just one and not just the other. Got it. Got it. Do you see the public school systems looking at at some sort of a blended system later on, or just when this is over, trying to go back to? Exactly? That's a great question. I, I, honestly, I don't know that we go back, but but certainly, you know, there are budgetary restrictions, there are financial issues that plague the public school system, especially elementary, middle, and high school. That you know, the the conversation in a higher ed is a different conversation because the funding is there and some of the AI and virtual reality and different technologies they're incorporating into online learning is already happening in the higher ed space. Uh -huh. But the conversation down in elementary, middle and high school, it, the, the barriers to entry for something like that, um, to fully integrate technology and how that would work and how to service every child um, looks pretty complicated. So I think it's going to take some some major conversations about educational reform in the weeks and months that are coming. But yeah, it, it'll be very interesting to see. Certainly will. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, what are you seeing out there with uh, what's going on? What type of results are parents having? Are, are they uh, a lot of them still fumbling around or are they getting into a groove? Gosh, I think it's a mix, right? Um, I think yeah. there are a lot of parents who are fumbling. <laughs> I think there are a lot of parents <laughs> who you know, are still coming to grips with 
what what is this and the information's changing every day and should we just be helping kids you know survive till the end of the year because we can anticipate them going back to school and and then their teacher will just pick the slack up in the fall is that will work i mean it's very hard i think for parents to see what changes are coming and how to you know adequately look for those adapt you know we're, we're all just sort of like flying by night at this point um but yeah, I would say the majority of parents that I'm talking to feel like they're getting more of a handle on it because they are, number one, putting less pressure on themselves, but number two, just starting to understand that, gosh, I can tackle the core subjects first. A lot of the other stuff can be enriching, it can be personal growth, it can be development, it can be life skills, and I don't have to feel so overwhelmed trying to replicate my child's school experience with all of these different subjects Let's just, you know, choose the core of what's going to be helpful for them in the short term, get a plan together for the future, you know, short term, long term goals of, of, you know, later in the semester or a year long program, if that's where we're headed. But those questions, I think, are coming later. Right now, a lot of parents are just trying to get through to the end of the school year, figure out what the summer is going to look like. Is it going to be a time to catch up? Is it going to be a time to plan for the fall? because we're not doing regular school. So these are all the questions parents are struggling with right now. Yeah, that was that was my next question about what, yeah. what do you think with, with the school, you know, when the school year officially ends and we, you have summer break, what what are parents mostly going to do at that point? Are they going to keep playing catch up or what, what's, or? It's a good question, honestly. And, and for, for what, from what I'm hearing, I mean, parents, moms and dads, most of whom work professionally outside the home, a uh, lot rests on, whether or not they're going to be home doing their work, um, you, you know, because you don't have like, will you be able to effectively school your kids if you're back, you know, if it's business as usual, you're back at your normal job, you're out of the house for eight to nine hours a day. You know, uh -huh. if your kids are doing a remote learning with a teacher that's not you and the school set up like a really nice experience, you have access to the Internet and all the technology you need to do sort of a remote situation, but something hybrid because they're going to need to get home and deal with a physical teacher. Again, we know these are the, the best ways that kids need to learn is in a blended way and not just one or the other. Um, these are all the questions they're asking. I got a lot of parents who are going, I'm waiting to see what's happening with my professional work. If I'm going to be called back to work, if this something, if, it, if this is something I can't man at home or I can't, you know, lead them at home. Is this, a, is this long-term sustainable? If I'm working outside the house, the answer for many is no. Um, but if it is, that if it, you know, if, if professional work ends up staying inside the home or that becomes more of a hybrid situation where not everybody's going into the office every single day, maybe it's 50-50, maybe people are working more remotely, it should be an interesting set of decisions to make come the fall. Right, right. Okay. So what, what are all the, what are the positives you're seeing coming out of this? Oh my gosh. I mean, family, you know, family time. I think I know you've once, talked a lot about that. Uh, we've covered that. I mean, that's just, yeah. Once, amazing. once parents like understood, okay, this isn't a burden. I can actually use all this extra time and we can really bond as a family. I think that opened up a lot of opportunity for not just families to connect, but again, like I always come back to having this extra time and not being oppressed by a schedule or you know being dictated to about what you have to do. It just opens up all of these really cool opportunities for creativity and for learning about the things that you wanna learn about. There, There's more yeah. time at home to do all of these things. And while, yes, there are chores to do and 
you know, some kids are struggling with certain things. I mean, there are things that every family is dealing with uniquely. Certainly having more time, I think, is the number one positive. I know there are there's a whole tribe of parents out there who, you, you know, are on the negative side of, gosh, having to spend so much time with my family is so inconvenient and it's such <laughs> a negative thing. But, man, if... <laughs> Like, I, I hear that a lot, too, where it's like, oh, this is so difficult. And I'm like, I, I just look at my own daughter going, I, I, yes, is homeschooling hard while you're working, while you're pregnant? You know, there's a lot going on in our house, too. But I wouldn't trade the time I have with her for sure. anything. I mean, we're used to, um, many of us are used to, you know, ripping our kids out of bed, getting all their stuff together, scooting them out the door and not seeing them for nine to ten hours a day. Yeah. So I think that's what I love hearing the stories about is just the fact that parents and kids are sitting down to meals together. They're watching family movies together. They're playing games. They're going for walks. Like when was the last time you heard of just a normal family going out for a family walk? Right, <laughs> These are not right. things we do, um, but now we're doing them. So I think it's really, it's really enriching the, um, the dynamic, the family dynamic, being at home and really, really just investing in, in people and our places uh, during this time. Seeing quite a return to family values across the board, huh? Um, what are the what other negatives are are you hearing coming in? Oh gosh, I think um, y- you know beyond what we've talked about. Yeah. You know, parents, yeah, just parents not feeling equipped, not feeling like an expert not knowing what to do. So not doing anything, um, you know, or, or, I mean, you can only, you can only stay in survival mode so long. So I think just the anxiety that parents feel going, okay, we're like several weeks into this quarantine situation. I still don't have a handle on the school stuff. I'm still trying to like parents were just, are just stuck in that sea of like, I don't have any good strategies. I don't really have the tools I need. I, the schedule I'm working out, I'm doing my best, but it's just not working for everybody. Um, those are the things I hear about most. So that my, the work on my end is done answering those specific questions, getting a scenario from a family going, okay, I have this many learners. This is the work I do. This is what I'm trying to rotate them around through. This is the curriculum I've chosen because a lot of them feel fully supported by the school you know, your child's school has sent home lessons and units to get you through the end of the year. There's homework for them to do. There's, there's a packet of stuff. I mean, things have come home that parents feel equipped to use, but then there's this whole other camp of people who are like, who feel like the, the administration and the, uh, and their teachers have sort of phoned it in, which is not the case, but that they have, you know, provided them some materials, but it's either not appropriate or not usable or not feasible for what they're trying to do at home. So a lot of parents are trying to find solutions on the internet that are low, that are, you know, low cost or free, you know, and not having the fortitude to go, okay, I know how to sift through all the information that's on the internet and actually choose lessons that are going to be appropriate and helpful for my student. So I think some of those like pressing academic questions like is this are these lessons appropriate for them and if they're not what do i do about it those are those are some of the negatives um and being a trained teacher you know you can you you can discern on the internet you know or wherever you're looking for materials pretty quickly if it's going to work for you your personality their personality if you want to pick up the lessons and use them that's an easy to figure out i think at least for me as a teacher i can look at something and go okay this is this makes sense for what i'm trying to do but Mm -hmm. for the average parent there's a learning curve there 
So yeah. that's what I've enjoyed about this season of mentoring these parents is just saying, hey, like, what's your scenario? What are you looking at? What do you feel like is going to work for you? Why? Um, and then giving them a framework for asking questions about how to choose lessons, what curriculum is going to be right for them as a teacher and their learner, and how do you find like the how do you find the groove of that per subject? Right. So these are some of the just the pressing questions I think. Yeah, with with the school system, are the are the parents given uh, generally a lot of leeway as far as curriculum, or the teachers sending you know this homework and turn this in on Friday sort of thing? Or? Yeah, it's all across the board. So I've got I've got parents who are like, mm -hmm, they're, you know, all of the kids' classes are hosted online. The teacher gets on, they teach for 45 minutes, they give them an activity, they do it, they submit it. So it feels like it's a good system, it's, it's run well. But then you've got all these other districts across the country who have sent, you know, some work home that is that parents feel like it's not engaging their learners. They're not used to working remotely. So, and they don't have like the, the training to go, okay, let's sit you down at the computer and have you do these lessons. Some of the teachers are not posting lessons. They're just sending material home. Um, and I've seen that a little bit where, you know, they're, they're planning for, well, I'm not going to see you. So here are these, you know, two or three or four or five video lessons, which is way more content than your kids would be getting inside their class in a week. Uh -huh. um, depending on the class, but it's coming home in a, a lot. So parents are having to synthesize it and I'm having to counsel them on, okay, if your student has already shown mastery over a particular concept and you're getting, you know, four lessons and four activities and four worksheets and just all of this stuff coming home, but they're showing mastery, you, you can assess that as their parent and then move forward into something else. Or you can go back and review things that you feel like need to be recovered so these are just as you engage your learners, the types of questions you would answer um, rather than feeling bogged down by, oh, my gosh, their, their teacher sent so much work home and now we're having to do it all. It's taking longer. You know, we're, we're not getting it done and feeling overwhelmed and stressed about that. You can just assess them for mastery and then and then move forward as you deem it appropriate. OK, great. Great. Um, can you speak about the difference differences between educating boys and girls? Now there's. Oh gosh, I mean, how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> that's another yeah. podcast, isn't it? <laughs> I, it really is. Um, yeah, and, and just, I think one thing that's really served me well in, in studying, you know, brain development and the differences between boys and girls, again, generally speaking, um, I try to employ, I don't know, just some different teacher tricks when, when learning, you know, or when interacting with girls versus boys. Here's an example. So girls are auditory learners predominantly. It's what they're wired for. Um, so, and not that you would ever give directions to the back of a student's head, but for girls primarily, when you're giving directions to them, it's always best to complement it with a written direction of some sort, but to actually get around to the front of them to address their face to your face while you're giving directions um, is something that has really helped me engage with female learners, not just my own daughter, but when I mentored and coached girls of all different ages and stages, it's very important that you engage them face to face. Number one, because they're wired to, to perceive, you know, nonverbal language. They're sure, wired right. to hear subtle intonations in a person's voice. I mean, these are all things that, as you think about engaging with learners um, in, in a way that's communicative, you can, you know, you, you can present, you know, what you'd like them to do, or actually help them get further clarity if you're speaking directly to them. Um, one thing I always tell parents to do too, and one thing I try to do when I'm working with male learners is to incorporate 
uh, you know, kinesthetic movement whenever yeah. possible. Um, we do a lot you know, here from parents that my, you know, my son isn't listening or he's having trouble sitting still or he's not understanding a concept or he's dealing with anger or frustration. We always try to role play things. Not that girls don't like to role play, but certainly like giving boys a physical scenario to own with their body and their mind and get their emotions and their heart a little bit more involved. That's always something that I try to try to um, educate parents on doing. Cause I think even as moms, you know, we like, I talk a lot, we use a lot more words than you guys do. So I think, um, it, you know, figuring out creative ways to engage with your sons where you're not just talking and using a bunch of words, but they're actually getting up and physically moving around yeah. is something that's really helped me inside the classroom again with high school boys all the way down to like itty bitty kindergartner. So yeah. yeah, there are a lot of different, different, um, you know, there are a lot of differences between the male and female brain. I think over a hundred that we could talk about, but that's a totally different day. <laughs> there, there certainly are. And I, I've yeah. seen the, the, the kinesthetic thing, you know, teaching Kung Fu for almost 30 years now. And we, we've seen young boys that just had severely ADHD and it just, it goes away once, once they're moving their bodies and they, they learn some proprioception, enteroception, all of that. It, it's, it's amazing how, just that kinesthetic movement changes their focus ability. Yep. So, um, yeah, fantastic. So you have uh, an online masterclass for, can you speak, tell us about that? Yeah, it's called the Heroic Homeschooler. So it was born out of this season right now where I had overwhelmed parents calling me and messaging me and saying, what do I do about schooling at home during these uncertain times? Can you advise me? Can you answer some questions? Is there a way to get supported? Is there a way to understand how to, you know, sift through the, the, again, the ocean of the internet, right? That's telling me I need to be doing all these different things. So I think for us, it was just on our hearts to create something. It is a six week mentorship series that answers all of your homeschool related questions, right? You've been thrust into this experience. You haven't planned for it. You didn't budget for it. You're juggling work. You're juggling many of us juggling multiple children and just the unique family situations that we're a part of. So what would it look like to get parents some training? You know, it's it's how-to videos, it's printable blueprints, it's a framework for setting up a routine and a rhythm that's gonna work for your family, that is actually going to work for your family and how to find that. Um, all those traditional school rules I just told you to break and more uh, <laughs> to really just own your experience at home, own your influence over your own children. And again, create a community for parents to be able to ask questions and say, yes, I want to get some training. I need someone to explain this to me, but I have specific challenges inside my home that I need to deal with. Can someone help me distill all this information and actually make some good choices to implement? So that is what the mentorship is for. Um, and it's where been awesome. They, we, yeah. Where do they find that? Yeah, they, they find it at truthbecomesher.com slash homeschool. You go to truthbecomesher.com. There's a homeschool button um, up on the menu, and it's all right there. It's every okay. video. Um, it's easy to opt in. It's We've got hundreds of parents, moms, dads, grandparents who have also taken on you know the role of educator hat while parents are still working. So it's been an awesome response. It's been a great mentorship so far, and I'm loving going through it because, again, it just – I get to answer everybody's questions and deal with, you know, all of the unique things everybody's facing at home, be able to speak to those and just serve parents. Sounds like a, a, a great program. We'll, uh, of course, put links to that in, in the, in the notes here. 
so where do you see, we've talked about this a little bit, or quite a bit here, but overall, where do you see education going in America after all of this? Yeah, I think that conversation about what blended learning looks like. What, what I love most about this conversation and what I love most about this season is that, you know, it feels like the education system, like public education has died. And now we can focus a little bit more on learning, which is what we should be focused on really anyway. Um, but I really do think- Can you the, explain what, 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 what exactly you mean there a little <laughs> deeper? Yeah, I think, you know, when, when we, back when NCLB was enacted and, and, you know, the emphasis was on, you know, test scores, achievement, and, you know, all that conversation about teaching the test and what this means for schools and funding and all of the, all of the convolution that exists inside the education system. This, you know, this COVID-19 experience has really peeled back the layers of that. And I think is shifting not just administrative focus, but educate, educator focus, parent focus toward the actual learning of our children. Okay. Um, and what what that means for me is, I, I mean, even in the short term, we're going to start having those conversations about what what distance learning actually will look like. Is it, is it going to be full distance? Because a lot of people are enjoying this situation. Is it going to be business, go back to business as usual? Everything's back in the classroom or is it going to be a blend? So I'm interested to see what the debate will look like in the months that follow around the conversation. And, and John Nesbitt in his book, Megatrans, talked back way, way back in 1982 about this, about right. that idea that I brought up earlier, high, tuck, high touch and high tech. Like the more technologically advanced a society gets, the more it needs to be matched on the other side with high touch personal interaction because of our humanity because we of who we are as people and the fact that we need to connect and we and we learn well when we're with other people experientially and relationally and this is how we're wired so it can't just be all tech all the time it it is not going to be, be, go back to and we know like the pre-technology time where it was all high touch created some issues too and now we do have a cool opportunity with technologies and a lot of emerging you know, technologies that are coming that we have never seen before. And it's it's an, an exciting time to be an educator. And it's an exciting time to, to sit on, you know, the wave of this conversation and really see on both sides how it's going to play out um, in terms of, you know, what face-to-face interactions need to look like for kids to learn best. And how do you use technology to augment the learning experience? How do you blend those two things is the question. Yeah, it is. We're we're experimenting a lot of that. Like like I said, I think I'd mentioned that I've been teaching kung fu online for six years now, and I've been experimenting mm-hmm. with it. But this has changed it because now everybody's looking at it. You know, I've been preaching it for for years and years that it can be done, and now everyone's like, okay, how do you do it? And yeah. the the getting just that the high touch and incorporate actually using technology to do that as much as possible has been really really an interesting journey over the last the last month or so. So is there anything we missed today that uh, you'd like to mention? No, I think just if if parents are listening and they're still like in survival mode, wondering what to do, come and be a part of the mentorship series, truthbecomester.com slash homeschool. We will help you get your questions answered. Yeah. And there's no shortage of like team member over here waiting to support you. And we're really enjoying all of the parents who have joined us. So if you're still looking for help, we are here to help you. Fantastic. What an amazing resource. Thank you for coming on today. It's been a great talk. Um, I learned a lot. 
and I'm sure everyone else will too. Thanks so much, Phil. All right. Thank you for listening to the Learning Success Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. We also hope you have learned something useful, something that you can take back and improve your life with today. If you would like to say thank you, the best way for you to do that is to share this podcast with a friend. Help us help others along this journey. And if you haven't already, please rate and comment on the podcast. Every rating helps us and helps this podcast get out to more people. We appreciate it and we appreciate you. Thank you again and make today a great day. No one should have to live with a learning difficulty.